Hey, Speed Demons, and welcome to the American Downhillers podcast, episode 11, presented by SkiRacing.com. Thank you for all listening and watching, and keep spreading the word to your friends. Today, we will break down the Olympic men's downhill, which went off last night here in the U.S. after a 24-hour delay. We'll also share with you some of our stories from our 13 total Olympic experiences, ranging from 1984 to 2014. Hi, everyone. I'm Doug Lewis, two-time Olympic downhiller, and my two Olympic experiences were in 1984, Sarajevo, and then in 1988 in Calgary. I did not medal in either, but the experiences were unbelievable unforgettable and changed my life forever. If I had to pick one Olympics that were my favorite, it has to be Sarajevo. I was 20 years old. I was on the team with five Olympic medalists. Uh, Debbie Armstrong, Kirsten Cooper, Phil and Steve Mayer, and my roommate, Bill Johnson, making history. And what I learned in Sarajevo helped me to win that bronze medal just a year later. So going as a 20-year-old and not being on the podium was definitely a great experience. Hey, joining me are three of the fastest American downhillers in our Olympic history. First of all, founder of the American Downhillers, Marco Sullivan, a four-time Olympian who was named to 2002, 2006, 2010, and 2014 games and had a ninth in the downhill and snow basin 20 years ago. Hey, Marco, your favorite Olympics and why? 20 years ago. That is crazy. But... I got to say my first one was also my favorite in Salt Lake, um, short eight hour drive from home where I grew up and family and friends all came out, ended up having a great race. I was top 10, I was 21 years old, no expectations, got to walk in the opening ceremonies, um, just a overall awesome experience. And the, the next three didn't quite play out the way I wanted them. So that first one was really the one for me. You can't stress enough that the Olympics are two minutes out of every four years, and you better be on it. Hey, our next uh, American downhiller, Darren Rawls, member of three Olympic teams, Nagano 1998, Snow Basin as well in 2002, and also in Sestrier 2006. He has four top tens at the Olympic Games. Darren, what's your favorite Olympics uh, and why? Hey, boys. Um, well, I have to say it's my first one as well. It was just a big eye-opener. Going to Japan, new culture um just a, a kind of a rookie on the team and hadn't having like aj mo ras peekaboo all there to kind of lead the way i think it was uh i was just trying to learn what was going on and i had a good race there but just um you know i think just the overall feeling of just the first time how big it actually is you everybody knows how big the olympics are but you don't know until you get there and it was a special feeling and then i think obviously what mark was saying 2002 I was there with him. He did a great job, like skied so good. And I think the, the highlight was for all of us to, to walk in together, represent our own nation in the U.S. And like Marco also mentioned, like all of our friends that showed from Tahoe, just a short drive away. And we had a killer, um, killer group. So those two, I mean, can't really pick a favorite, <laughs> but those two were, were huge highlights. Awesome. And finally, AJ Kitt, the first four-time Olympian in the U.S. ski team's history and competed with me in Calgary, 1992 in Alberville, 1994 in Kvitfell, and also Nagano, 1998, with a best of ninth in 1992. AJ, four-time Olympian, how are you going to pick? What was your favorite? Uh, yeah, that was an easy one for me because um, 94 when Mo won, you know, we 
we had a great team. We were, you know, a band of brothers at that time. And, um, you know, just having one of your teammates have that kind of success was, was great. I mean, obviously um, you go to the Olympics and you're dreaming about your own successes. And for me, it, you know, ninth was my best over my career, but to be part of, um, you know, that celebration with, with one of our teammates, a guy that, you know, you live with, you travel with, you train with, you, you know, you bleed with and, and to have a, a teammate do that was just amazing. Uh, my first one was great with you, Lou, in, in 88, because it was the first, and it was just eye-opening. I had no expectation of making the Olympic team that year. Uh, 92, I, you know, was the year I was skiing the, the best of, of all the Olympic years, and I had some expectations, but, you know, that course was, uh, was not set for downhillers <laughs> in 92, but, uh, and then, you know, Nagano, uh, I was out there with, with these guys, and, uh, you know, Darren, and, and, um, uh, and, and that crew as, as we were kind of handing off the baton and that was, that was super fun. I mean, Nagano was, was different. It was, um, it was a challenging uh, week because we had such delays, but um, yeah, they were all amazing. And actually I got to sort of experience 2002 with, with Marco and Darren and the Tahoe gang. I was at working for NBC at that one and uh, got to know a lot of the, the Tahoe uh, brotherhood and they all came out. And so that was great. I've got a lot of great Olympic experiences. Hey, let's jump right into controversy. I'm going to throw this one to Marco. Uh, first training run on a new course, they were just kind of checking it out. A lot of missed skates. Second training run, they amped it up. Um, I think Kilda won that one. And then on the third training run, it was windy, but they started, but only got three racers in before canceling. Marco, what's the controversy and why should we care about that? I mean, I think the controversy is you had th those three guys who were all contenders it was Kilda Meyer and Innerhofer um they got an extra run on the course and that the way I think the actual thing that didn't sit well with the other racers was it was really windy that day those first three racers definitely had they were having issues they were getting blown around it didn't look safe but the way the uh race director immediately canceled the run right after number three it's just like okay we're done um I think the racers felt like there should have been a little compromise there where maybe they waited and let the wind die down. Or I think the racers were talking at the top saying, we, we want to run in our clothes. We want to maybe run from halfway. We just want to get some more time on this hill because we haven't been on it. And it seemed like there was just, there was no question there, you know, it was done. And I think it kind of highlighted the disconnect of the athlete's voice from the officials you know and that's always been a little bit of an issue um there was i think a few racers were pretty vocal about it i saw some quotes from marco odermatt um just that it wasn't fair that these guys got the run and you know you can kind of go either way i would say it wasn't safe because of the wind and they had to make a call to uh to kind of pause it at that moment but maybe they could have waited and, and seen what happened um ultimately only one of those guys ended up on the podium, you know, Matthias Meyer. So it was, if Kilda would have won the thing, like everyone kind of expected, I think it would have been a lot bigger story. Any thoughts, AJ, Darren? I was saying Mark made a great point there as far as trying to wait out a little more, give those other athletes a chance to get on the hill, um, either a run in their clothes or a lower start. Um, you know, I think that's, it was unfair for sure. And, um, None of these guys have had a chance to get on this hill before. They're all new to it. And the more time you can get, just feel the train, feel the snow. I mean, the snow is the biggest issue. The snow is the, the 
biggest factor you see you see everybody having problems with it top to bottom mostly in the bottom part and maybe just a little extra time to kind of feel the the setup in and just like hey i need to make this little extra change before the race and that would have helped a little more time on the hill for for everybody and uh you know as someone who's been the on the short end of the stick of some questionable fist decisions in my career i can tell you that um i sympathize with uh with those guys who feel like they you know weren't weren't treated fairly or didn't get the same opportunity uh as a few of their competitors but on the other hand i gotta say you know it's an outdoor sport and there's always things like this that happen uh safety's always got to be first so that decision to you know shut down um training was probably the right decision uh but you know on the other hand you know monday morning quarterback on that one uh yeah maybe a a closed training run for everybody where you're not allowed to you know talk or whatever you know set some some goal posts uh that might have been um uh that might have been the right way to go but heck i mean i'm not in that i'm not in the race director's shoes I'm, i wasn't on the hill i don't know what all was going on so um yeah there's nothing like a little controversy for some olympics right well it's, it's funny because they're, they're taking this cautious cautious approach too far i mean yeah. almost treat like these world cup guys like u16s <laughs> yeah. i mean more turns in kitsville slowing everything down yeah. you know shaving jumps down it's like these guys are the best in the world they train for it yes there's going to be some like you don't want to have everybody like having a big problem you know a dangerous spot but it's like put these guys to the test and that was one thing too like in training, I was surprised in the race because training didn't seem like there was a big deciding factor on the hill. There's 28 guys within a second on that last training run. It just shows there wasn't like a huge differentiating, you know, place on the hill to separate all these guys. And but in the race, you know, I think it just the speeds were up higher and these guys were pushing the line more. So there were some like a lot of guys blowing it in the last left footer there before the flats. You know, like that was a that was Prince the money turn right there for the yeah, race. That's, you can't ever do that. Yeah, I, I I agree with everything said. I just will add, you know, this is a year of special circumstances, right? They let Creekmeyer do a fake training run because of that COVID circumstance. This circumstance, they've never run it before. It's brand new. Let them go with coats. You know, you know, they get, they're big boys. They can figure it out. Just give them the give them the information about the danger but let's get, let them go because it was a special circumstance. Anyway, another uh, thing before we get to the race, because the race was so exciting, we had a question about delays. So um, this is from Matt Alfano. How did you guys would deal with cancellation of big races like the Han and Calm, or if they delayed it for a day? Uh, AJ, you said they delayed it for a week in, um, at your Olympics, it was delayed a seven days. How do you guys deal with delays and um what goes through your mind how do you get through it who wants this one yeah i, I mean nagano i think was an eight-day delay and that was i mean i gotta say that again our sport's full of factors right and and having delays is definitely one of them um you know bryce got iced in the starting gate and that's i mean that kind of stuff happens you know you just figure you figure out how to deal with it that's part of the mental challenge and and i mean it happens to everybody getting flagged off is another one right halfway down the run you get flagged you got to go back to the start you know um i i would imagine that for these guys one day delay wasn't that big of a deal on the other hand you know it's two days in a row without being on the course for all but three of them and that you know that does add up i mean a multiple day delay i think is a disaster one day you know one day happens but you know multiple days is a disaster we had the multi-day delay in Vancouver. It snowed like two feet 
the night before the race on Friday. And they just said, we're pushing it to next weekend. We're going Saturday. They just a whole week. What? And we just went Powski and Whistler for a week, which was amazing. But then we were so smoked by race time. <laughs> we never, none of us had like a great race. But so my memory from Vancouver is like the sick powder skiing before the race. That's, so funny. <laughs> That's I, the best way to deal with it. But these guys, I think uh, Bryce made a great comment. Um, you know, he was saying that it was just like after it was called that last training run, he's like, or the race day, he's just like, hey, you know, it's just, today was going to be a good day. Today's going to be, or tomorrow's going to be a better day. I like his outlook, you know, it's just like everybody's in the same boat. You can't change anything. Make the most of it. All right, let's move on to this downhill. And before we dive into everything, uh, because it was great from top to bottom, I want to get um, your thoughts. First of all, for me, I love the entire thing. I loved the course. I loved the blind knolls. I love that they only got a couple training runs. It made it exciting. But the thing that made it the best for me and AJ, you talked to us about downhill and about Kitzbühel, consequences. The course and the skiing told the story to me. You made a mistake, you were slow. You skied well, you were fast. It was simple. It was all about risk and good skiing. So I love that aspect about this race particularly. How about you guys? What, what stood out for you about this race? My, my uh, assessment of the course, and look, at I wasn't there, never trained on it, but from what I saw on TV, the course didn't seem technical in the turning sense to me. Like it didn't have a rhythm section. I mean, there were like maybe two tough turns that you had to nail. And, and certainly there was that, that net turn that was like a little quick chicane out there and then delay the pressure and bring it back. Right. Super critical turn. If you didn't do that right and got low, it was over. Um, you had to nail that, but that was all part of the puzzle. Like we talked about in, in previous episodes to me, that downhill's a puzzle you got to figure out. Right. And, and I think that course had a lot of, puzzle pieces that you had to figure out i didn't really i wasn't getting the rhythm of the course from watching it but still with all those blind terrain changes um you know and all that kind of stuff as a what i consider myself as a pure downhiller uh before they put in a bunch of turns uh turned it into a, an extended super g uh that's my soapbox for the day but um you know as a pure downhiller i love that course because you know you it was about flow it was about letting them run it was definitely about a lot about gliding on the bottom and i think that the one who could push the line the most and keep it smooth and, and sort of rhythmical as much as possible and clean. Obviously, that's really important in a race like that. I think those were going to be the fastest runs. I mean, it had some cool elements with that side hill. It had big jumps. It had gliding. And um, I don't know. For me, from where I was sitting, it looked like a lot of fun. It looked like a lot of fun, for sure. And like you said, there's maybe two or three money turns. And then it was a lot of hammer down charging and you couldn't really make a mistake. And I think where we saw our boys or kind of make some mistakes was what Darren mentioned earlier with the snow conditions. Look like maybe the setup was a little bit off or you know, just getting caught up on, on specific turns and that kind of interrupting that flow. And that's all it took with such a tight race. I'd say there was four, four tough turns on that hill. You know, and, and one, uh, not being so much of a turn, but off the top, that left footer fall away. It was where, like, what, Innerhofer went out there. Guys were getting rattled. Uh, that one Austrian took it right in the face and was bleeding like mad at the bottom. Uh, Bayot, Foyt, the guy just lined up perfectly. You know, just the, the pressure of the turn. He was in his tuck, like, halfway 
out of that turn. And just the guys, like he was so good on his, like on uh, his feet. You could just see his, he's well-connected, strong, powerful, but wasn't overdoing it. Totally agree with you, Darren. Um, really three to four major turns that you had to hit, but there was terrain. There was also aerodynamics you had to think of. There was blind everything. So mentally you had to have that confidence and big airtime, uh, Foyt's. I don't know what jump it was, but the dude just air Swiss aired it, but a great course and just made it a great race. Now let's talk about the U.S. boys. I'm going to throw it to uh, you, uh, uh, Squaw Valley Palisades guys. Let's talk about Bennett. Iced in the start for 15 minutes. How do you think it affected his run? And then what do you think of his run? I felt like he was in the zone, even with that ice uh moment you know he they put the camera on him he was like head down just looked like he didn't care he wasn't phasing him and he had to talk about the hometown um support that these guys had we had a parade at palisades two days ago when the race was supposed to run and it was like live feed going over to there and it was just like seemed like so much support going for our our boys there for um bryce and travis and I think they were just, they were feeding off that and also feeding off the fact they've both been skiing really well. And I think they were totally ready to charge. There's nothing, nothing holding them back. You know, we thought they were metal contenders for sure. And that, uh, the little delay that Bryce had, I don't think it was a big deal. Um, you know, he, like Darren said, he had some great splits. He just basically, I think two major mistakes, one where he, he kind of slid out and got a little bit high sided on his edge and then down below where he really kind of missed the missed the line on that that toilet bowl turn whatever you call that <laughs> and uh but i was looking at his splits so he had like three single digit splits on the on the bottom with that one he was like 30th where he made that big mistake so that shut him down and then with uh travis i thought he went out of the gate with some fire you know his best split was actually his start split, which is like unheard of with, with him. He usually builds, you know, going down the course. So I think he was like amped, ready to go and just had, was a little bit too dirty on a couple turns to, and lost some time. But I don't think it was a, an issue of them not being ready. I think they were like ready to go, fired up. They gave it everything. Yeah, I mean, I could just say the same thing Marco just said. And one thing I was there at the watch party last night there's a ton of support, you know, we're up at Plaza Bar at Palisades Tahoe and just like so much like just the, the vibe, the, the support was awesome, you know, and and uh, we we're definitely feeling it for those guys. I got a little more like, I don't know, the kind of the chills. You know, when you're around that, all that energy and everybody's all pumped up and fired up, cowbells are ringing and that was awesome. But Bryce, I mean, again, going back to, you know, just his own words, he put down a good run. He was really proud of it, happy with it. You're on the edge, like it's a fine line. And maybe those skis are a little, you know, this ski boot setup was a little bit too aggressive. Just got, getting caught off guard. If you're off balance a little bit or you're just throwing off your timing, you're going to pay with that snow. Um, Travis, he was giving me some inside info and he was saying that uh, it was a couple of days ago, but the snow was, uh, it was old man-made snow. It was like Beaver Creek, fast but it was like a little more grippy, you know, it was just so compact. And, and I think that was a big challenge for those guys. And 
Yeah, I'm going to take that transition, Darren, and I'm going to give, uh, as a fellow East Coaster, I'm going to give RCS a little bit of love because, you yeah. know, that course, I, you know, no, listen, we were Monday morning quarterback in this thing now, right? So I don't think that course was any good for him. I mean, it was maybe okay. It's a little bit like Bormio kind of with the flow and stuff like that, but I mean, it wasn't turny enough for him. I mean, and, you know, his downhill experience and stuff like that, like that was a true downhillers course where you just had to have that, you know, that nose for those blind knolls. And, you know, that was interesting that, that uh, you know, that the NBC finally, you know, put the clock on the jump and it shows how, what we, a tool that we typically use of figuring out direction, using the clock and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I just think, you know, obviously Ryan was, was putting it down as much as he could, but it, it just didn't, didn't play to his strengths at all. So um but, you know, hey, those guys all they gave it their all, and that's what they're there for. And um, they're all, you know, gosh, what a that, – that course was just a mystery in a lot of ways that you had to figure out in the snow, frankly, in that – everywhere over there. Like the ladies' GS yesterday looked brutal with that snow. Um, I could feel it in my knees and my back watching the edges hook up. Yeah, Bryce's turn there on that left foot. I mean, that's just a symptom of going for it. I mean, it was a bank turn with – he nailed the initiation. He built up a ton of energy – and it just, and he got too low. He was trying to grab his tuck too early, maybe, and the ski shot underneath him. So, um, yeah, it was, it was fun to watch. Yeah. You wake up sore this morning? <laughs> I am. I'm, I wake up sore every day. <laughs> <laughs> watch, watch these guys battle those, those super grippy conditions. Uh, we did B-net yesterday up at, up at Ski Bowl. So, Amy, Amy and I were up there doing double, let, double layers <laughs> nice. of B-net all day long. Man, it was uh, ultimate parent volunteer day. <laughs> Good work. Stepping in. I was impressed with all three of them. RCS, I think, was training. We had some just tough training and brought it on race day, which was great. Um, Bryce and Travis, super impressed. Travis, you know, I get I get mad at him. I'm like, bring the energy. Let me see it. And I saw it yesterday. It was just one mistake away from an awesome run. Bryce focused, not letting anything get to him. Just one mistake away from awesomeness. So I was impressed with all three of them. At least they didn't ski bad and were slow. They skied on the edge. Yeah. Unfortunately, went over the edge yeah. and paid for it. You, you can't be bummed out about that. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, I, don't, I just want to throw. Yeah, I just want to throw this one out there. When Creekmeyer, who ran first. After he got down, did you think he was going to win it? I mean, what did you think when Creekmeyer went down? I'm like, that's it. I know. <laughs> really? Too, man. I think that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, a good run for sure. But there, there's like all the top contenders are coming down. After I just, yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't think it really, really, but I'm like, holy crap, this could be it. Because I looked at the time and I'm like, dang, yeah. that's fast for, you know, compared to training run time, that was a fast run. And, you know, and I'm like, you know, could be one of those days where bib one has, and then that delay, I didn't know how that delay was going to affect, you know, conditions and all that, like maybe a Nagano style where it turned into peanut butter, but. I, I don't think you could write a better story. Creekmeyer has a clean run and sets the pace. Then you have someone go down and a big delay. And then you have Innerhofer miss a gate. Like it was just so exciting. And I loved it. Who wants to talk about Foyt's? The dude is amazing. Like, I didn't think he could go from that slow in training, which is his MO, to winning. It's just unbelievable. I, I was blown away, but you could see how he won. Cleaner, more attacking, big air. He won that race. Yeah, that's a great example of just letting him run. I mean, you know, that guy just, he's, let's be honest, right? He's a bigger dude, right? He's a little bit bigger around in the belly, like <laughs> me now. But, you know, he used that to his advantage. I mean, he just stood on his skis so well, especially in that, that left-footed traverse at the top. I mean, like you were saying, he's so clean there. And, 
I mean, I don't know. It, I just was, I was like, I was feeling it, right? I was feeling the whole downhill vibe when I watched his run. It was, you know, nothing terribly impressive with the, the you know, arcing turns, you know, that kind of thing. But he just, he skied well. I think that that one, that turn, you know, I, I would love to maybe in my younger days try to figure that one out. But it felt like if you jumped off the left foot really quick and got out to the fence as fast as you could, that was too much. Like you just spent all this time skidding along the fence until you got to the point where you could, you know, pressure and get your direction. He just seemed to be a little bit more sort of direct to the apex of where he wanted to be and then made more of a turn and he just nailed it. And I think that that's one of those things. It's just an unusual turn setup. And, um, you know, it's not like a GS turn where you have a, you know, rhythm and an initiation and, you know, and an arc, this was like a, Ooh, I got to shape this one really strangely and, and bring it back. So yeah, it was fun to watch his run, man. It was it was really cool. That's one of the big things we teach in our camps at the speed camps is speed tactics. You know, it's not the same as slalom and GS, and you got to spend as much time as possible in the fall line with a clean ski and go in the right direction. And Foyt's is the master. You know, he's yeah. he's not one thing, and he's won Kitzbühel. He's won the Olympics. He's just he gets it done, and it's impressive. Like AJ, like you said, if you saw Foyts walking down the street, you wouldn't say there's an Olympic champion, you know, <laughs> but he's got a touch on his skis that is just amazing. And the way he lets that ski run is better than anybody. Yeah. Yeah, hey, but big wins, you know, like Foyts, four downhill discipline globes. Like, yeah, it's just so consistent everywhere. And it's, it's been really impressive. Like, you don't think he's going to do it the next year and bam, he does it again. And all that. But, um, yeah, I, I love like what AJ, how AJ just described that, um, that one right footer before that big saddle jump, jump you know, like along the fence, you see that really clean and came out like money. He, he came out high and kind of, you know, wrap up his tuck. He wasn't fighting a lot of guys. He took the, you know, the power off the edge right on the breakover. He took that off and then he could just still keep that like uh, trajectory off that. Like, yeah. Anybody that had it loaded. Yeah. You know, I mean, no matter what your direction is, if you have that load, it's going to pop you and yeah. it's gonna send you further. And then the more you're off the ground, you're going to be floating down the hill. It's a big fall away. So he did that great, but the, he was just rolling in the middle. The guy was so, I mean, comfortable looking on his, his skis with the setup. Like he was in his tuck. He was just like super smooth, find that fall line. And then I liked his, his tactic that, um, it was after that, maybe the fourth split or fifth split. It's a big drop down where Bryce made a mistake. He came out a little further to the left and used that bank. Basically, like I learned that the hard way in ski cross. Like I would always go for a tight line down the bottom, but it was actually faster to be high up on the bank and, and come down on it. You generate speed. And he kind of did that um, and was ahead of it those next couple of turns, you know, the right and then like going on to the flats. And he took so much speed and I love like just watching on that right foot. It gets, as it gets really close at channel, like a couple turns before the finish, he just flies up that little roller. Like he just, you could see the speed. He was just moving down there. I think he probably had like the biggest air in the bottom too. Some guys weren't even flying off that last jump and Foyt's just, he sent it. You could just see the speed there. And that was a fun run, run to watch. I mean, it was just, he eliminated all the mistakes and, you know, he was like skiing it really smart and, and charging. So. Yeah. It shows all the different lines you can play with, you know, and that's the part of the, that's where I call that a pure downhill because when you can vary the line and look for, look for speed in different places, it's so much fun. You know, 
it's not like just a, a one line, a one line course. So that was way cool. But he didn't oh. smoke everybody else out of the water, which was amazing. You know, there was still some, it was tight. Yeah. It was still a really tight race. And yeah, Clary one tenth behind. I mean, one tenth in gold. Holy crap. Yeah. And then you, <laughs> I was really fired up for Jack. Uh, yes. Yes. Fourth place. Like you just, I want to see him like in on the podium because his yeah. training run was so fast. The first one, he made the gates. He was like the fastest, you know, first train run uh, athlete. And that kid skiing super strong, making power, making speed. And, you know, I was, I was pulling for him big time. You yeah, know, me too. You get up there on the podium, but he, really close. Good job. Good job by the Canadian. And the old fella, 41 yeah. years old, Claret. You know, Claret! He's, I, Claret, he's one year younger than me. And it's so cool just to see him out there he's gotten progressively better throughout his career. I remember in Vancouver, he was going to retire because he had a bad back. That was 12 years ago. He was like kind of over it. And then he's just persevered through everything and see him step up on the podium is very cool. Well, that's where experience right there plays a big part. I mean, AJ, you could have come back and probably gone no, the podium. No too. doubt. No, it could have yeah. been my best Olympics ever. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> if you could stop every three gates and, and rest <laughs> uh no very good and, and you know those canadians are under the radar um but now I, I just pose a question out there for him you know now everybody knows him now there's a little bit of pressure will he feed off of that or will he uh, take a step backwards always interesting when you finally make that breakthrough and that was a breakthrough for sure anybody out there um ski not up to their par i mean i think odermart was right there uh creekmeyer as we said had a great run kilda had a great run did anybody ski terribly that that stood out for you guys well, Interhopper, I mean, that was like just crazy mistake right there. I mean, it, it was, that was brutal, right? <laughs> um, just getting going and, and out. I mean, just charging on too much and it looked like a tough, if you did it wrong, you couldn't get it back. It was a little wavy, a little bumpy and that fall away pulling you down. He just did he was, was charging too hard. Like tactically going back to what Marco said, you know, just having good speed tactics and, and he, uh, he just bit off a little too much right there and, and paid the price but i didn't really see anybody really hacking or there was just there's those those mistakes that jumped out you know just like caught these guys off guard i think it was uh kind of notable that Jansrud did not start you know he there's a lot of a lot of hype not at hype but you know everyone was stoked that he made the trip over there and thought he was going to get an olympic start he did the training runs Definitely didn't look like himself in the training rounds. He's pretty far off the back. And then he didn't start in the race. So who knows what's going on there? But his knee is definitely flaring up. But who knows if we'll see him ever race again. You know, he's one of the elder statesmen now. So it's kind of bummed not to see him be able to go. I was looking forward to seeing him go out of the start and run that that left-footed traverse on that bad knee. But, yeah, I'm glad he didn't if it was hurting him. But that would have been a telltale sign of how that knee was feeling. Yeah, last last comment from me was this. I'm blown away. It was a new course. And so, and, and only two training runs, really. Yet the course was so tight. Tenth of a second, second, 1600s, 10 people in the first second. I know it was short, which tightens everything up. But I'm amazed that um, 
it was such a confusing and intricate and great, as AJ says, a puzzle that um, no one got it perfect except Foyt, but it was still so close. Uh, are we going to see this downhill run again? I would love to see it, but are we going to China ever? Well, I hope not. <laughs> and I'm not even traveling. <laughs> it doesn't seem sustainable to me. I mean, no. we're going to, what the plans are for that resort, but it's pretty unbelievable when you see the aerial view. Yeah. They, you know, they threw down a couple ribbons of snow and they obviously did a great job to prepare the track, but I don't know if that's a sustainable model right there. Right. No. All right. Great job. Thank you. Uh, I think we all can say that amazing downhill race, amazing course, amazing competitors put it all on the line and we were treated to an excellent race. Now we're going to move over to Super G, two days away from the Super G. Actually, it's just one more day from now. We have a question. So I'm going to start with the question, then I'm going to talk about the Super G on this hill. The question comes from Matt MP. Uh, he says, I see that downhill races get two or three training runs, but Super G gets none. Since the speed seemed comparable, but there are more turns, it would seem a training run would be super helpful. Yes. I was wondering how similar are the Super G and downhill courses and how transferable is the knowledge of the downhill training run going to give you in the Super G? So let's talk about Super G. Should there be a training run or is it part of the coolness of Super G that you don't? No way, man. I like the fact that that's a, a no inspection event. Uh, I, and, and frankly, most of the, the Super Gs are run on the downhill courses. So you kind of do, if you're a downhill, you kind of get that little advantage over the guys that are, that are um, GS guys coming in to run Super G. And uh, uh, that course, I think being as narrow as it is uh, and the way the, the, the terrain features set up, there's going to be a lot of similarities in, in the Super G, I think. So I don't think it'll be that tough. Yeah, looking back on my experience, actually, I was really upset um, that the team didn't put me in the downhill training in Nagano. I made the, you know, the Super G and, and GS team, and that would have helped me a ton, I think. I still had a good race there in uh, the Super G, but I wasn't like, as tuned in as I could have been. Um, what AJ just said, how narrow the track is, there's not so much like of a, you know, a different set that they can do in some sections, um, you know, but... I'm excited for Travis. Travis Ganon yeah. is like good with this kind of like yeah, scenario. He's he's great. Like he's a little bit more on the conservative side, which I think is going to help, you know, with this kind of set over all those blind rolls. And uh, he's got a good touch. Um, so I think he's going to be a, a strong contender. I mean, look what he got third in Beaver Creek, Bridge of Praise, Super G. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of excited to see what happens here, but it's going to be a tough challenge. And I like the fact that there's no inspect, no uh, train run, just an inspection. You got to really put a lot of time into it, studying it. And, and those guys had a chance to kind of figure out that the downhillers are racing this. are going to have an advantage on the super G. Hey, Marco, um, what number, if you could pick for the super G on a new course, on a new hill, what number would you pick uh, if you had the first couple number picks for a super G? For Super G, I think like number five to seven um, would be ideal. I think Herman always used to pick number five when he was in his heyday. <laughs> Not that that matters, but you know, if you're on number five, you get time to see what the first couple guys do. You get a report from your coaches. The track is still pristine, and you, I think that's kind of the the sweet spot right there. I think a few more guys actually, just since it's so unknown, 
I mean, I, I'm pretty sure Herman was picking eight. That was his number. I would have liked to have gone like 11th, I think, you know, just to have a few more guys so I can like focus on maybe five guys, see what's going on, get some information and completely kind of like put it in my head and get away and have a little time to kind of maybe a, a tweak my plan a little bit and have any info back from the coaches. So I think it's, it pays off. I mean, that's Kilday's number. He, he likes number 11. Um, I think it's a good spot. Like that snow is, it's not going to get that beat up with 10 guys and a few forerunners. So I still think that's a good position to be in. And, and uh, so like maybe like that, like eight to 15 is going to be a good, good sweet spot for those guys. I'll take your, I'll take your 11 and I'll, and I'll raise you to 13 because <laughs> you know, I like 13, man. That's <laughs> because, but, yeah, because it worked pretty good last night. And, uh, and that was yeah. the number I won Valdezair with. And, and frankly, you know, the snow conditions, I think lend themselves to anybody that can pull one out from anywhere on that start grid is going to have a just perfect chance because the conditions are great. Um, you know, and, and more information sometimes in super G can, depending on, on your mindset can be better than not enough. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be another exciting one. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to watch till the last guy comes down the hill. It's going to be good. All right. Um, I'm going to give you guys a few seconds to get your picks in order. I'm going to make my picks, but just to go over the standings in Super G, Kilda is leading, Odermott second, Meyer third, Creekmeyer fourth, guy named Raphael Hosser fifth, Bayot Foyt sixth, Travis is eighth, uh, and Ryan Cochran Siegel 11th. So I made mine. You're not going to be happy. Of course, I want the American downhillers to win. And I think Travis has an excellent job uh, chance. And I think RCS, a sweet field skier and a technician also has a chance. But I'm going to go with uh, Meyer, Creekmeyer. I know I hate putting Austrians there. Meyer, Creekmeyer, and Odermott, the youngster from Switzerland. Those are my picks. I know don't get mad at me, but I'm going to throw them out there. Let's get the picks out there if you're ready. I'm ready. All right. you know what, uh, I agree with you, Meyer. He's feeling good, fast and downhill. You, you can't like count him out. So I'm going Meyer and I'm going to go Travis for a second. I just, I'm really feeling it. Plus we need a little atomic to like mix up the, the head domination <laughs> for, for the downhill. Dude, I mean, props to the head team, Charles <laughs> Gaber and Patrick Beerth and all those boys that I know so well that run the head program, but that was painful watching all those you know, guys come in uh, on the down like that. And then I'm going to go with Odermott for third. Okay. You know, like, I know that kid is just fuming right now. And um, he's definitely been probably, you know, ejected with a little more just inspiration with Foyts, you know, doing so well. Um, I don't think Foyts just doesn't have like those kind of like quick, you know, ness and, and turning capabilities for Super G. You know, he could be probably, you know, top five, but I wouldn't put him on the podium. So Meyer, Ganong, Odermott, Super G. Maybe. All right, I'm jumping in. Um, Odermott is, is right in my top three somewhere. Um, I'm not going to rank guys, but I'm going with Odermott, Kilda, and Travis. And, you know, I think, uh, I think Odermott's got the advantage because he's had some training on the hill. He didn't – he was too, too small for, I think, to, to have success in that downhill. I didn't expect him to – to get a, a medal. Yeah, Darren, sorry, buddy. Um, but, uh, you know, and then, <laughs> and then you know, going to beat up on AJ here next time we see him. <laughs> making that comment. 
Um, but you know, uh, Kilda, I think obviously for obvious reasons, right. He's been, he's run the downhill. He was pretty fast. He's obviously very fast at super G in the world cup. And I think this thing sets up great for Travis. I mean, I really do. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Travis wins the super G, uh, hopefully he's not watching this beforehand. I don't want him to feel any pressure, but this is a good super G for him. Um, so, and I think he's probably a, a little bit stung about not doing a little bit better in the downhill. So, uh, Maybe this is the right scenario for him. I'm looking at the start list right now. They pulled the start list already. Oh. Our numbers, we got RCS 14, which is right in the sweet spot of what you guys are talking about. Travis is number five, which is sweet spot of what I was yeah. talking about. And we got Bryce Bennett starting 22, which is maybe a little later, but. Are you going an American sweep, Marco? RCS for the huh? win, Travis for second, and Bryce Bennett third. Yes! Oh, yes! What a limb you're stepping out on. Perfect. I love it. <laughs> if that happens, I don't think we're doing an early morning podcast the next day. Yeah, if that happens, I'm flying to China tomorrow <laughs> to celebrate. Oh, I'd love to see that happen. <laughs> Let's see AJ over there. Go to the week quarantine. <laughs> That is awesome. Hey, if one of those American downhillers wins a medal, see that uh, 1984 Olympic suit behind me, I will do the next podcast wearing that suit if they get a medal. So that's all the uh, inspiration they need. Skin to win like Bryce? Always. I don't know. Was he like in Beaver Creek? He was full skin to win. Like he pulled his suit off around his waist, bare chest. I mean, obviously it's 40 degrees. We're hanging on t-shirts or birds. I pray, but I wonder if he was wearing, you know, I mean, just going skin to win in China, a little more cold up there. Yeah. I went skin to win once and there was stuff peeling off me that I didn't need to have happen. So I ended that real quick. That was Canadian style. AJ, what did you think about that skin to win? Did you ever like uh, buy into that at all? No, wasn't my style, man. I like being warm. <laughs> Plus the suit sticks to you. It doesn't have, you know, that shearing, you know, with like something underneath you. And I tried it too. And even trying the wind tunnel wasn't, you know, didn't make any difference. Yeah. No, it's all, that's all. Cody went that route in Vancouver and he won the combined. Is it, remember him going fully skinned to win? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks to Darren, Marco, and AJ for sharing with us their Olympic thoughts and memories. And I can't wait to see the Super G. Thanks for watching and listening to our American Downhiller podcast. If you liked it, spread the word, share with your friends, tell everyone, just search American Downhiller podcast. Spotify and Apple for the audio version, version on video exclusively on SkiRacing.com. It helps a ton if you also subscribe. Looking forward to our next podcast. We will answer your questions and preview the women's Olympic downhill, as well as set up the final downhills of the season remaining after the Olympics. We will answer all of your questions. If you have a question, info at AmericanDownhiller.com. Thanks as always. And remember, ski fast and take chances. When in doubt, tuck it out.